guys, welcome to the More Than Mom podcast. I'm your host, MJ Cash, and your new mom BFF. And guess what? You get me without any awkward playground small talk. On this podcast, we'll be covering everything we possibly can to help you thrive in all of your roles, not just as mother, but as wife, woman, and individual with your own passions and dreams. I hope that you'll choose to continue along this journey with us as we all begin to figure out how to become more than mom. What's up, everyone? I hope everyone had an awesome Christmas. We are just coming off of the holiday season. Actually, as I am recording this right now, we're gearing up for New Year's and really just soaking in all of the the magic and the family time and just the beauty of the season. I really love this time of year because it allows me to, to reflect on how I've been as a person over the last year and areas that uh, maybe little victories that I've won, like launching this podcast, and also these these major areas in my life that I know I can improve on. Um, those include mothering and being a wife. There's definitely some gaps there that I need to fill in this upcoming year uh, and really pour more time into those roles. And I love this time of year for that. I love being able to reflect. I love being able to, to, to spark conversation. I feel like, you know, we go all year and no one talks about these things that are important. And then all of a sudden the end of December comes and it's an acceptable conversation to have with your neighbor. You know, what, what do you want to do next year? Like, what are your goals? What do you want to accomplish? What haven't you done so good on this year that you want to improve on? And those are great conversations to have year round, but fortunately, as much as I love to have them year round, uh, society gives me permission to have them <laughs> during this time of year. And that's always fun because I'm not the oddball asking the big grando questions. Today on the podcast, I have such a fun guest. I'm so excited for you guys to hear her. We're talking about some issues that are really at the heart of every single new mom. Um, and not just new mom, uh, like your first baby, but those repeat new moms, when you have an infant, maybe you have a toddler already, maybe it's your third, fourth, fifth, but the that fresh stage where you're really trying to figure out some of the major rhythms and, and the cycle and the routine of that, that new, fresh family member who hasn't really figured out the world yet. And this is actually a really special podcast for me today because it's not only my first long distance interview, but it's my first international interview. My amazing guest comes all the way from Canada. She is just incredible. She completely filled my uh, <laughs> my heart for Canadians during this interview. She had a couple sayings that she had uh, as we went that I was just like, oh, I'm so fulfilled right now in my little Canadian fix that I needed. I will tell you that we completely hit it off. I met her on social media through, I believe, Facebook initially. Um, we were part of a similar Facebook group for business and then got linked up through Instagram and most of our communication has been through there. But that's how I located her. That's how I found her. And now I can say that she is truly my closest Canadian friend that I have. So we truly had the best time. I am desperately hoping that she decides to come down to the South, um, not just the States, but the South South. Uh, comes down to the Nashville area to visit sometime, and I certainly know if we go to Canada at some point, we will be making a stop in Saskatoon to see her. And I know there are a couple things I do want to hit on 
prior to going into this podcast. My guest, Rosalind, is a medical professional. She is a nurse who has special in labor and delivery units. She also owns a branch of the Mama Coach over in Saskatoon, Canada, and she helps women prenatally and postpartum with different areas of expertise. However, I am not a medical professional. (laughs) And we talk a lot about medical systems that are in place both here in the U.S. and in Canada. And I speak out of my personal experience here in America. That is not to say that I know exactly what I'm talking about across the board. Please do not take the things that I say as factual. Take them as, oh, that's her experience. That's what she has been exposed to. Um, In one of the areas, I kind of talk about what I have perceived as a difference between the Canadian structure up there in the medical field and the one down in here in America. I also talk about the difference in what I think midwives are able to do in both places. But let me just say that that is not with research behind it. That is just like from me listening to different midwives from Canada talk on podcasts and comparing it to what I felt like I had access to here in the States when I was pregnant. So I just want to get that out there. I actually don't, I'm not an expert in this. I don't know what I'm talking about medically speaking. These are my what I have just gathered from my time being pregnant and delivering babies and listening to other podcasts. And so if you do know what you're talking about when it comes to midwives and that kind of thing, please <laughs> feel free to reach out on on Instagram, inform the heck out of me. I would actually love to know it. I went to research some of it and it there just there was so much knowledge. I couldn't condense it and find the answers I needed in the amount of time that I had to look into it. Um, so if you are way more educated in that area, feel free to send that information my way. I would love to hear it. But as far as this podcast is concerned, I didn't want to cut it all out because it's a big part of our conversation and just the um, flow of our conversation. And it's just an interesting topic as well. I'll give you a little precursor. From my understanding, there are midwives in the States that are nurse midwives, meaning they have a nursing degree in either an RN or a BSN. I think that's right. And they have access to deliver in hospitals. In my experience, I delivered one baby in Houston and one baby in Nashville. And in both places, all I could find for midwives who were allowed to deliver in hospitals were those nurse midwives. I don't know if other types of midwives, because you can still get certified as a midwife without being a nurse, in my understanding. So I don't know that those ones have the accessibility in the States to deliver in hospitals, though. They can in birthing centers, I know. They can at home, I know. I don't know about hospitals. And so that's kind of what I'm talking through here. Now, that is just my experience of what I could find to deliver my own babies in both Houston and Nashville and what I was told at the time of those deliveries. That might not totally be true. So that's my experience and that's what I'm talking about with her. But with that said, we go into some really fun things. I will give you a little hint. We are talking about two major topics for new moms. We are talking about nursing. Hello. Give us all the information on breastfeeding, please, because none of us know what we're doing. And we were talking about sleep, which I made sure to inform Rosalind that I don't even know what that means anymore because I have not had sleep in about four years. But those are the two things that we're going over. Rosalind is a fountain of information. Guys, she was flowing with knowledge. It was so fun to just sit back 
and just listen to her just mm, just get into all the things that she's so passionate about and so knowledgeable about and she was just letting it fly and I'll, I'll tell you right now I wish I knew about the company the mama coach prior to having my babies the company was founded by a woman named Carrie Bruno and she since has expanded with other mama coaches and trained them. She created a training program that Rosalind talks about a little bit in here. Um, and there are now mama coaches all across Canada and they are now in the States as well. So a big hallelujah to that for all of my uh, United States mamas out there. And they are truly filling a gap in the marketplace that is so needed. For those of us that have been pregnant, we know this. When we get pregnant, everything is about the baby. Everything's about the baby. And finally, there's a company stepping in and stepping up and being there for all the needs of the mother at a time when all the attention is on the baby, when the mother is going through so much. So I just have to say, you will hear, Rosalind, this is a real quality, helpful, educational interview. This is a fantastic podcast episode. Rosalind did not hold back. She gave you real tips that you can take and use and implement today with your little ones. I was so happy that she was she was so willing to share and I was so appreciative and grateful of that. And I think there's no doubt that so many of you are, are going to start looking up where the local mama coaches are. And I will tell you this, do not fear my friends. If there is not one in your area, they do online work as well. So they will actually communicate with you at a, at a long distance, either on a video chat or a phone call, and you can totally still get help from them, even if they're not right there in your area. And I just think, hallelujah, that is amazing. Heck yeah, Mama Coach. I am like your guys' biggest fan now. So with that, I am so pumped to tell you all about and have you listen to and just get all the knowledge from my very good friend now who I am so excited I now have a like a serious quality friend in Canada I mean y'all I've been wanting to plan a Canadian vacation for like years and we you better believe I'm going to see go see Rosalind oh speaking of which <laughs> Rosalind is from a very very small town and she talks about one of the landmark places to visit in her town that she goes to get, you know, she purchases things from. Rosalind was kind enough to send me a picture of this landmark place that she talked about in the episode. And I have included it in my Instagram post of this episode. So go ahead and swipe over and see what she's talking about. But y'all, I, I could not be more excited to have reached out to her for her to have accepted this interview and this podcast episode and to now call her a very good friend. Um, we, you, you'll be able to tell real quick, we hit it off immediately and uh, it's just a good time guys. So come hang out with us and listen to this wonderful episode from the mama coach, Rosalind Summick. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. This is going to be really good. I can already tell I, like, I, we're going to be friends. It's be funny. <laughs> Perfect. But um, cool. So, Rosalind. Hello. Hello, tell hello. Me, tell me about yourself. Give me a little background. We met um, just on social media. 
yeah. which I feel like is where everyone meets these days. Right? Like, who and... sleep in their house? No, never. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you are, as I said, you are my first long-distance interview, so we don't even have to leave our house to have this conversation. Um, and I kind of joked on my Instagram today that I'm not even just calling down to, like, Georgia. I'm calling up to Canada. This is you a big, long-distance interview. And not just, like, Vancouver or Toronto, like, Saskatchewan. It's like, the little north, tiny right? prairies. It's not way north, but it's, like, in the middle, and every very few people are like, oh, are you from Toronto or Vancouver? Or like, which side? And you're like, Saskatchewan. They're like, I don't know what that one is. You <laughs> <laughs> were smack dab in the middle. We That's... farm out here. <laughs> oh, do you? Is it a lot of farming yeah. land? Yeah. Uh, what did... They don't grow anything for most of the year, though, right? How cold is it up there? Yeah, no, we just have the summer season, and it gets to, like, minus 40. Last year, we had, like, a week of minus 50 with the wind chill. Huh. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a really sweet place to live. Really great. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> but here, yeah. So yeah. I can't complain. So tell me your background. Like, where are you from there? Have you always been there? Yeah, born and raised in okay. Saskatchewan, and in, I'm still right outside the city. So I live in a small town about 40 minutes outside of Saskatoon, the city that I work in. Um, okay. And the population in Purdue is like less than 500. <laughs> so it's oh. like a tiny, tiny, we're a village <laughs> out here. <laughs> so like someone moves to town and they have to like change the number on the sign. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's very big deal when someone new comes to town. Um, so yeah, I live out here. Love like love the city. Saskatoon's growing, but I just am a lover of the small town at heart. Everybody yeah. knows everybody, which is sometimes good, sometimes bad. But your neighbors, like somebody cuts your lawn when you're not home for long, or they're like, hey, there's a weird car in your driveway. Like, who's there? That's amazing. It happens. It does. Yeah. So no, it's really good. Um, and yeah, so I've always been in Saskatoon or just outside of Saskatoon and um, moved away for two years when I first became a registered nurse for, it was only two and a half hours away. Um, that was just where I could get work on a maternity ward. So okay. off I went. And then I did a small stint in the Yukon this summer, um, some maternal nursing up there, which was phenomenal. And I hope to go back, but Saskatoon, Saskatchewan somehow has always just kept pulling me back. I have no idea what the draw is, but <laughs> that's awesome. No, I'm so a, we- I've actually never lived in a small town, but we have a lot of excited family that lives in small towns and we'd visit like every summer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm a lover of small towns for sure. I get the pool. Yeah. Like it's just yeah. quaint and peaceful okay. and yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. I really, really do. But close enough to a city because we have like one store and it's called the store (laughs) and it's like the hours (laughs) it's like (laughs) oh I'll send you a picture next time I go to the store literally literally (laughs) on Instagram this is the best thing I've ever heard I feel like Hollywood needs to film like a tv series in your town (laughs) okay probably good little reality there is lots that goes on here let me tell you (laughs) So yeah, no, it's wonderful. It's really, really nice. That's awesome. So when did you know that you wanted to go into nursing? Um, honestly, I wish there was some like profound epiphany moment where I was like, I've always wanted to care for people. Um, I feel like ever since forever, I always have been a like caretaker of people. Mm -hmm. When I was little, I was always the one to 
help people or like the little kids who needed something. I was like, I got you. Um, But it was, I took two years off from after high school before going into university because I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. And then we went out for, um, we were out for a family lunch one day, which we never do. And we were kind of just chit-chatting. Did you guys go to the restaurant? (laughs) No. No. We were in the big city for that one. <laughs> okay, cool. You haven't gotten the restaurant in your town right? yet. Yeah, yeah, no, we don't have a restaurant here. <laughs> the cool. co-op on the highway. <laughs> so we were in the big city. And yeah, we were just kind of chit-chatting with my parents. And I was like, I have no idea what I want to do. I knew, I always knew I wanted to do something with mom's babies, pregnancy, something of the sort. I've been obsessed with it since... I literally could decipher that I wasn't a baby myself anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my mom just brought up, we had a neighbor that was a pediatrics nurse and she brought her up. She'd just seen her earlier that day and she brought her up and I was like, hmm, like kind of the NICU that would, I'd be hanging out with babies all day. Um, that would be like kind of a sweet thing. So it kind of honestly start, started the ball rolling from there. And then I, applied and got in and then during my four years in school there was always touch and go moments where I was like this is not for me <laughs> you, we did all of the other things but mom and baby stuff and then wasn't a huge lover of my labor and delivery rotation which is crazy because that's where I am now um but it's just a totally different perspective when you're a student everything's new everything mm. feels awkward Um, and I just didn't feel like I really was making any of an impact. I was just like, go and get this supply or like go and do this, like stand in the corner and just like observe. And then, so I was like, I'm going to do midwifery. And so I applied into, um, Ontario, uh, university in Ontario and it ended up getting in. But before I could accept my um, letter of acceptance, I actually ended up going to Lloydminster for my final practicum um, as a registered nurse. So we do like our last final two months of school is just full time. You're totally submersed in it. And I was like, I'm going to go to Lloydminster because nobody else has applied for this one. And it's just going to boost my chances of getting into midwifery. So went to Lloydminster, um, smaller town hospital. Not There's still a city, but it is smaller. Um, the staff were amazing. I just absolutely fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, no, you know what? Like, I'm going to totally just submerse myself here for a bit. And then if midwifery happens... I can always do it again down the road. And um, then honestly, I just, yeah, I did full-time nursing out right out of school and then have just stayed in maternity. I haven't gone anywhere else. And then I did move back to Saskatoon where I originally had my, um, I wouldn't say bad experience, but meh experience. And I was yeah. like, no, labor not for me. And now that's where I work and I absolutely love it. So totally changed things. Um, and nursing is, it's amazing. It's, there's so many different avenues you can go in it and impacts that you can make. So here I stay. That's awesome. That's awesome. And it, I'm not super well versed in this, but I know I've listened to a lot of midwives Mm -hmm. and things of that nature on podcasts that are from Canada. Yeah. And it seems like, it seems like regardless of where you fall in the healthcare system in Canada, whether it's as a nurse, doctor, midwife, mm-hmm. maybe something else, I don't know, you get to, it just seems like there's less maybe boundaries. So you kind of are able to 
do more and see more in those roles than you maybe would right. in the States. Yeah. It just seems like the regulations. Um, I know like for in here in the, in the U S midwives cannot deliver babies in a hospital and unless they're a midwife nurse. Right. Okay. And in Canada, like midwives. Yeah. Have kind of full reign, right? Mm-hmm. So basically midwives here in Canada, um, or at least in Saskatchewan, um, with our health, their employees of the health region ultimately. And then, so patients, they apply and they do their intake kind of whatever, how many months in advance. So you can apply. Not everyone gets in. Unfortunately, we definitely need more midwives. Um, there's oh, okay. a huge need for them. Um, but just funding's not there. So <laughs> right. you can apply. And I honestly think the numbers are about 50%. They have to turn down of oh, women. Wow. Apply. Yeah. And so then our midwives, they do all their prenatal um, appointments and stuff. And then they can, the like patient themselves or the client can say, I want to deliver at home or I want to deliver in the hospital or I want to start at home. And then if we go into the hospital, we do. And then what happens, or if there's concerns at home and they have to go to the hospital for right. further monitoring, um, then the midwives just come in with them to the hospital and they are there there's a nurse, a registered nurse always assigned with them on the labor unit. Um, but the midwives do the delivery, do everything pretty yeah. much. And then the nurse is just there as a like second hand or a help. Right. That's so, so cool. I love, I yeah. love how just everything kind of flows with each other and everyone okay. works together. I know yeah. I, I delivered my second child with a midwife, mm-hmm. but she was a nurse midwife. So therefore right. she was able to do it in a hospital, which I wanted to yeah. be in a hospital because totally. my first ended up in a C-section. Aww. So I had, to, yeah. I had to take like all the, you know, the, um, any risk. And I had to kind of like put myself in the best environment, but yeah, absolutely. Um, but there's such a limited choice here with those mm-hmm. because a lot of times you either have an OBGYN or you get a right. midwife. It's right. rare to find kind of a midwife nurse practitioner or whatever they are mm-hmm. that, that can transfer into the hospital with you. So, right. So really if a midwife had to transfer a patient or something's going on, do they just like transfer care and the patient goes in with the OBGYN? Yeah. Oh, my okay. understanding is that now I think the midwife may then assume like a role of a doula and like be right. like a birthing coach in the room with her, mm-hmm. but she does not do the actual delivery at that point. Okay. Yeah. She's, she's kind of a standby, like, offering help how she can right absolutely yeah it's just different it's just really interesting how I know and anytime I hear people with with medical credentials in Canada speak I'm I always just feel like they they experience so much more than they maybe do in in the same realm here Mm -hmm. so that's that's what I was observing I think Mm -hmm. yeah I do find we have a very we are the only hospital in Saskatoon that delivers. Oh, wow. um, and so it's just one center. So I find we have a very close knit team with like the obstetricians and the midwives and the family doctors and the obstetricians and the nurses and we know the midwives. And so it's very like more personal in that sense, I guess. Yeah. And so when a midwife comes in and you're with them, I find it's a very like seamless transition. Everybody works really well as a team. Um, and then if, yeah, an obstetrician has to come in for the delivery or there's concerns or anything, um, yeah, it's just very, I find it's quite cohesive, like anywhere we run into 
right. the drama and stuff. Like you can't get away from it. But um, for the most part, yeah, it's really nice that everybody can kind of seamlessly transfer throughout the healthcare region. Um, and that patients can have that continuing care of yeah. their provider instead of just like, surprise, like I'm your person. Right. Right. <laughs> you don't yes. know me, but <laughs> hello. Yeah. So, that actually, that, hap- that is nice. what happened with my first. I got a doctor that I did not know. And I was like, hey, and she was terrible. So, <laughs> oh, and that's, yeah, and it's a big, like, it's a big and scary, especially if they're first. You have no idea what to expect. And then right. all of a sudden you have all these strangers. And yeah, I find that's when the partners play such a huge role in the, like, in the labor room or in the hospital setting. Um, just to be that person who's like, Hey, you're my one like familiar face in this entire room right now. Yes, exactly. For sure. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So you have been a registered nurse and then somewhere along the way you find out about the mama coach and get linked up with them. So Mm. talk to me about where you discovered them and why you felt like it was something that you should pursue. Okay. Um, good old social media. <laughs> so I came across, right. Um, I have always kind of wanted to do something public health or I like to have, I don't want to say multiple different jobs, but I just think I am, I do so much better and I have so much more to give when I find that I'm doing kind of a variety of things while it's all still in the same specialty um sometimes it's tough like doing full-time nursing at the hospital and that's what I did for the first like two and a half years out of school um and I found it really really tough going back and forth between shift work and life and you're coming off days and going into nights and coming off nights and going back Mm -hmm. into days um so I always kind of had it in the back of the mind my mind of like okay, what could I do? What would be something that I could do outside of the hospital that would give me a little bit more time freedom? Um, and then, yeah, never really pursued anything with it, just was doing the whole brand new nursing. And then, yeah, I came across the mama coach on Instagram. Um, and by the mama coach, when I say that, I mean um, the founder, so Carrie Bruno. And she is a registered nurse and lactation consultant out of Calgary, Alberta, here in Canada. And so she started up the Mama Coach. It's been a few years now. And it was just on her own. And then she became more prevalent on social media and had people asking, like, how did you get into a private practice? Um, And so she made up kind of a licensing um, way of licensing other registered nurses to do it. So when I came across her, it was when I was just I just bought a house in Purdue and the timing could not have been more perfect. So I was driving back and forth. There was a hiring freeze in Saskatoon. And I was driving back and forth to Lloyd. So I'd go there, do a chunk of like six shifts in eight days, then come home for two weeks and then go back and do. Oh my and, goodness. So, and it worked and it was fine because it's it was just me at the time. And I was like, no, I'm good. Like I can do this. Yeah. crazy. So then I reached out to her and did their application, knowing that all of the mama coaches are moms themselves. Oh, interesting. Not had any little munchkins yet. Um, so I was like, Oh, super hesitant, big self doubt. But I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it. This whole like driving thing is not working for me. And (laughs) it just, yeah, it was super appealing to see just to have a little bit more freedom of the care that you give and the time that you give to your clients, um, which sometimes you don't have in the hospital of, 
you're restricted. You have your patient load and you need to get all the care done. So I reached out, applied, and it just so happened a few months later, she's doing an intake and the mama coach in Saskatoon that was here before had to step down and we had an interview and it went really well. And here I am. That's awesome. So walk me through some of the things that the mama coach does. How do you guys help expecting mothers and also new moms Mm -hmm. through the whole transition? Yeah. So when you first join the mama coach, um, we are all registered nurses. We are all moms except me (laughs) across North America. Um, We all go through a training and then we basically offer from prenatal classes so prenatal education we can help with either do breast kind of breastfeeding teaching or what's called antenatal hand expression so that is showing moms how to express their colostrum which is basically the milk that comes before mature milk so it's a very concentrated really high in antibodies that perfect perfect substance for babies when they're first born um, to kind of prime their gut for life and we do that. So we'll do antenatal hand expression. We do everything offered in the home, which is phenomenal. I, yeah, it's a phenomenal way to teach people to go to their their own comfort setting and you just go into their home. But we also do group classes as well. And then um, once you have your baby, we then can do breastfeeding help. So we also come to the home and help with that. So you stay home, stay in your jammies, stay curled up on the couch. Don't shower if you don't want to. Yeah. We're just going to come to you, answer all your questions, make sure that, um, do a full assessment. So that as registered nurses is one thing that we can offer that some companies cannot, is that we have that extra piece and the background and the knowledge to do a full assessment. So we look at development. Are they at their making their developmental milestones that they should be, even if they're only a week old? We look at their weight. We assess um, their feeding, of course, for lactation. And then, yeah, just answering any of their questions for that one. We also do hourly support. So if you're just like, I don't really feel like there's anything specific that's going wrong, but I'm just I'm feeling lots of ang- like anxiety around it. I'm feeling really nervous. I don't really know if baby's getting enough. I had a really traumatic delivery. Right. I just reassurance to know that I'm on the right track. My baby's on the right track. Everything's okay. Um, and for somebody to come in and be able to do an assessment and tell you like everything is going okay. And if it's not, we then have the resources to refer you to your doctor and to speak with them um, or refer you who you need to in the community, whether it's just a community group or it is a doctor or it's a speech and language pathologist. Um, And that's something that as a registered nurse, we have the freedom and knowledge base to do and to connect the supports that you do need within that healthcare team, even though we're not working in the hospital. And then I think the biggest one, I think all of us mama coaches would agree, is sleep. I like that's what, a, wait, what is, what is that? Topic. I haven't experienced so, that for about four years. Oh, one day, one day you'll get there, MJ. <laughs> so basically we do um, sleep training, sleep coaching. I feel like there's a very negative connotation around sleep training. So I use it lightly. So sleep coaching, sleep guidance. And with that as well, it's another home visit, um, but we also can do a virtual visit. So essentially for that one, we would come in 
do a either a video call or just hop on the phone. Um, we chat about baby where you're at. What was your delivery like? What have the first few weeks, months, maybe we're at 10 months already. Um, what's it been like? What are your concerns? Um, what are your goals? Because not every person wants to sleep through the night. They're okay with still doing night feeding. So right. we then would go into the house um, and do a assessment. Uh, an assessment with feeding because if babies are hungry they're not going to sleep so we want to make sure that we have that piece we also do a developmental questionnaire and assessment so again to make sure that baby is reaching their milestones as they should be and basically through all the assessments and the ongoing assessments and questions that we ask we just really can piece together a plan that works for that family for that individual baby from where they're at not just a cookie cutter okay like you're three months old you fit into this plan here's what we need to get you doing because this is what you should be doing right at this point um every baby's different every mom wants different things for their babies so a common question with sleep is do you do the cried out method we do not do the cried out method i wouldn't say we do any specific sleep plan There's no specific guideline that we follow when it comes to sleep. But what we do when we come into the house and do our assessments is we then are enabled to, okay, let's work on feeding before we do sleep. Okay, we need to make sure developmentally, babe's going through a big leap right now. Here's how we can help them through that leap before we start diving into sleep. So we basically, our goal is to do an assessment so that we can take out all of the barriers that are impacting sleep so when you take out those barriers for sleep we get way less tears we teach parents how to read the baby's cues and so they can feel empowered and they feel confident being like oh hey like these are the cues that babe's showing they're tired they're ready to sleep absolutely okay let's go to sleep and we know what to do with this too so we basically give them the perfect square shape whatever shape it looks like that is going to fit their baby so that we minimize the tears we minimize the stress on both baby and parents because it's tough hearing your baby cry I never promise no tears when it comes to sleep because change is hard and I'm pretty sure I know adults I can speak for myself and when I have to make big changes I'm like this is uncomfortable give me my comfort zone give me back what I know Um, And so it's really just following what the babies are feeling and how they're responding to it. And then we ongoingly follow up for two weeks anytime after we implement a sleep plan. So we're in contact with the families and we're talking about like, how did the night go? What did their naps look like? What did their nighttime sleep? How frequent did they wake? How did they fall back asleep? Um, So that we can change it day by day to really find the exact little sweet spot for that baby and that family yeah so that's sleep, amazing yeah so sleep is a big one and it's tough and there's so much out there nowadays that's your baby should be sleeping and not sleeping is really really tough and as new parents right. nothing like there's no way to prepare for that there's no way to yeah anticipate. I know that the commentary about not giving sleep after you have a baby is probably the number one thing that you hear while you're hmm. pregnant And I remember when I was in that state to think to myself, I have my whole life basically lived it on very little sleep. Mm -hmm. I was an athlete my entire life coming up. I was training to play in college. 
Right. But I also had a social life. So like, basically I didn't have time for sleep. Mm-hmm. And then I got to college and once again, like I was a student, I was being social and I was an athlete and like, I also didn't sleep in college. So I was like, mm-hmm. I got this. I know how to function sleep on function. no sleep. <laughs> what you can't wrap your head around until it happens is the compound effect of no sleep. Mm-hmm. And like, sure, I would like get through the week and have no sleep, but then maybe I'd take like a really long nap on Sunday mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever. There's no breaks <laughs> once the baby comes. It's just like less and less and less and less and less and less and less. And then add one like, more baby in. <laughs> yeah, compounded like kind of forever. Mm-hmm. And I, you just can't grasp like what that does and how mm-hmm. you react to that. Because it's not just obviously being tired. All of a sudden your mood changes and, um, you know, you don't think as clearly. And all these things, is, like you just don't function as well as a whole human. No. So and there's so many factors that play into it. Like not only are you waking so frequently, but the even for like as adults, our sleep follows like we follow sleep patterns. There's sleep stages that we go right. through when we go to sleep. And when <laughs> you're not going through those sleep cycles as your body usually does or as your body is naturally falls into the pattern of doing then that's when a lot of moms talk about mom brain and it's a real thing like it's like a scientific moms because they are waking so frequently we usually spend about 50 percent of our time as adults in stage two sleep and that is where we are consolidating our memories our short-term memories so when you're like i can't remember anything it's because you are not (laughs) sleeping and that's That's so interesting no way around it like in there's no way to prepare yourself. I know lots of shift workers are like, I'll be fine. Like I've stayed up all night. Like, no, (laughs) you get like an hour and a half and then somebody wakes you up and add on to the fact that you're now caring for this tiny human who is 110% dependent on you and the uncertainties and the questions that come along with that too. It's not just wake up, feed, go back to sleep, continue on, wake up, feed, go back to sleep there's so much that plays into it on an emotional, on a mental, on a physical level that as much as there is, I think there, you can do things to prepare for motherhood, for becoming a parent, but I don't think there's, there's no way to prepare you or make you understand what it's going to be like until you're in the thick of it at 2 a.m. and your baby's up and they're crying and you have gone through everything you can think of and they're still crying and it's like what like (laughs) why like your bum's changed you're fed this 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 yes and it's tough because they don't talk so that's a lot of stress and that's a lot that's just a lot of weight to have on your shoulders so there's so much that impacts it And I feel like part of what makes it so mentally and emotionally exhausting is the unpredictability of it. Because, you know, if you're getting no sleep, but there's no kids in the house, right? This is pre-kids. You're getting very little sleep because your life is busy, but Mm -hmm. you're setting the alarm for when you're going to wake up. Mm -hmm. You're like, cool, I'm going to get four hours and my alarm Mm -hmm. is going to go off at this time and I will wake up and I'll feel tired. But like, I know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. that's different than going to sleep and being like well could be getting up in one hour could be getting up in four don't really know like and you just you just wait and see and then when you totally. get up you're like oh it wasn't four it was three you're like it's it's yeah. such a mental ball game 
it's absolutely ridiculous. and just when you think you figure it out then they throw a curveball and then they there do something go. totally different right you and then you're like just kidding we're back sure. to where we were <laughs> yeah, great exactly. someone passed me the coffee <laughs> yes so first of all I want to know because obviously the unpredictability of it is so exhausting how do mm-hmm. you work towards finding a routine and establishing a routine um, for parents and babies so basically when every baby I think kind of a universal thing that we can always fall back on is awake awake times so basically depending on age and again every baby is different so there's always a little bit of a a give and take Mm -hmm. but a good starting point um, to look at for sleep is looking at okay what's what's the baby's age developmentally where are they at if they were premature what is their corrected age because we need to remember that they were maybe three months they're three months old now but they were born six weeks early and developmentally their brain is not at the place of a three-month-old newborn it's only at about one month so sleep training is kind of off the um off the planner that's just not something that we'd want to do quite yet because developmentally they're not ready for it so So are you starting sleep training around three months then is that kind of the point where they can get more into a, a schedule Mm-hmm. Yeah, so around three months is when you can kind of anticipate a little bit more of a schedule with them. Um, because at three months, babies start to produce their own melatonin. So in that developmentally gets them and they are producing it prior but that's when you'll see it come into play with days and nights with their circadian rhythm with them Mm -hmm. falling into kind of their own schedule and pattern of sleep and awake times so around three months that is when we I would say with most babies not all but you can start to look at okay how can we um, optimize their sleep what can we do to make these sleep stretches a little bit longer how can we consolidate their sleep into their nighttime and daytime naps mm-hmm. um, so when you have those awake and asleep times from when they're born to about 10 weeks old we only expect them to be awake for about 45 to 60 minutes so what awake times give us is just a general sense of okay in this time, they're going to want to feed, we'll change the diaper. And the reason why wait times are so important is because when a baby is undertired, they're not going to want to go to sleep. It's just like us, if you were trying to put yourself to bed at 6pm and you right. woke up at 8am, there's you're going to lay there and you're going to lay there awake. And you're going to be, you can be fine with it. But babies, they're going to cry, not having not having that whatsoever. Right, right. If they are overtired, the brain actually goes into a protective mechanism where it keeps them having it keeps their brain in the state of not letting them go into a deeper sleep so they stay in we call it an active sleep in the range until they reach about 12 weeks and so if they're overtired their brain goes into this protective mechanism where they wake more frequently and it is so hard to get them down. So if you find that you're trying to put your baby to bed and they're not having any of it, they're crying, they're mad, like will not. And you're like, I know you're tired. It's because they've gone into that overtired zone. So wake times kind of give you a general guide of, okay, I should be watching for their sleepy cues now. And when I'm noticing them and I can see that 
like it's time for bed and that can help so so much and just to make bedtime so much less stressful and same mm. for naps too so when they're birth from when they're born to 10 weeks assuming that it's a term baby 45 to 60 minutes is all the time that they should be awake and then they should be going back down for a nap so in that time fitting in a feed definitely changing their bum they'll be a little bit alert um and then yeah going back down for another nap once they get to 11 weeks to about three and a half months that time stretches from about that 45 to 60 minutes to about an hour and a half to two hours and so we're stretching that a little bit more and then for babes that are three and a half months to five months two hours to two and a half hours would be the awake time in between um, naps during the day that they're going to have and then five to seven month old babes is two and a half to three hours Okay. And then eight months to 13 months, three hours to four hours. And then 14 months to three years is about five to six hours. So that's okay. when they're having that one nap during the day yes. they drop down to. And making sure for awake times too, one other key thing that really helps is when it comes to bedtime, a lot of parents, if they've kind of had a thrown off day with naps and babe hasn't had their regular naps or they've been out and about and they just haven't been what they usually are, is that we'll have a cat nap at the end of the day. They'll wake up and they won't have a long enough stretch to build that sleep pressure back up so that when bedtime comes, they're like I'm feeling this I'm tired I'm ready to go to bed but they've had that cap nap and now we're reset and they're like it's go time like right not sleeping and they're not tired enough so awake times are kind of I would say honestly for any parent who's struggling with sleep look at those make <laughs> okay. sure that feeds are going well um if you have concerns with feed I would definitely recommend or encourage you to reach out to a lactation consultant or a mama coach um, and have a feed assessed just to make sure that feeding is going okay and you're not trying to put babe to sleep when they're hungry and then look at the awake times and that often can give parents a lot of insight into finding sleep for their babes with less stress and with a little bit more ease. Yeah that is really interesting. So my I have two kids my mm -hmm. oldest is for sure the one who has always struggled with sleep. I mean, mm -hmm. he's four now and we mm -hmm. still struggle with sleep with him. He gets up in the middle of the night almost every night. Yeah. Like he's just, he hasn't figured it out or we haven't figured it out with him. Meanwhile, my second, she sleeps like a champ and always has. Does she? <laughs> and it. it's interesting to look at the fact that wake times can have such an importance. Beckett, my oldest, has always had a really late bedtime. Mm -hmm. and it, at first it was established because that's just like what worked best with our, our how we totally. live our lives. Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> then it was like, well, then he was never tired before then. So that's just mm -hmm. what we fell into. And now I'm sitting here wondering, I wonder if like even as a four-year-old, he's getting so overtired that he's never falling into a deep sleep. Right. right. <laughs> so, like he's just awake. Man. <laughs> Yeah. Did I missed the mark on this for four years. <laughs> okay, you got it right with one MJ. Yeah. She'll be fine. <laughs> She'll be good. She sounds like she's doing great. And he does too. He's a happy little camper. But um, one big thing with parents and when they're going to bed and newborns when before three months, 
usually they are having those later bedtimes. We're not trying to get them down for a whole, like their nighttime sleep right. at 7 p.m. Like we usually would. Um, it's closer to kind of that 9, 10 p.m. mark yeah. um, is when you should be thinking of like, okay, this is bedtime. Like let's start our kind of nighttime sleep. But when kids are falling into that rhythm of, okay, they're going to sleep later. And then you're like, oh, they went to bed like super late. Okay, I want to let them sleep in later so that they're not tired today. So then we let them sleep in later in the morning. And then that just throws off their like their entire circadian rhythm again for the day. Naturally, kids, babies, they fall into a 6 to 7 a.m. waking. That's just a natural circadian rhythm of when they're going to be waking up. So we want to make sure that we are starting off the day with that earlier waking time. Sometimes it's a little bit tough to stretch to that first nap, but that's going to set them up for success with their naps throughout the day and for that nighttime sleep. So when you can get that nighttime sleep sorted for bedtime and awake time, mm -hmm. then the naps fall into place. Naps are always second. Bedtime is definitely that golden ticket to sleep. Right. Um, but looking at the awake time so that you, whatever you got to do to make sure that they are having their proper amount of awake time before bedtime, look at that, cap their last nap if you have to that day, and then get them to bed at a decent hour by watching their cues, which is going to, I think most parents are very, I think they doubt themselves, but most parents, if you ask like, what's your, like, what does your babe, what does your toddler do when they're getting tired? Most yeah. parents are like, they do this, this, and this. And I'm like, sweet. So when you start to notice those things, know that they're getting tired and start your bedtime routine or make sure that they're going to have that bedtime snack so that you don't push it and then keep them up late. And you're like, ah, we have to do bedtime routine. I know you're tired. Like, and they're already starting to lose it. So if you can get that last awake time, for their developmental age if you can get that in and then start bedtime there that's just going to help that nighttime sleep so much more putting them to sleep when they're tired that's awesome mm -hmm. when you talk about different cues for sleep you obviously said that that a lot of parents know kind of how to read their kids in that manner can you give some examples of like what kinds of things you've heard parents say about their kids like what kind of cues they're looking for Mm -hmm. So with when you're looking at newborns, crying is a crying is like the last stage. That's like the last plead of like, I'm okay. so tired or I like I'm starving. So to try and see those before. So sleep cues in a newborn or a small infant is going to be they actually kind of get a little bit red around the eyebrows. They start to rub their eyes. They're yawning. So those are the biggest things that I would say is like, okay, I'm getting ready. Like I'm kind of feeling a nap here. Um, and same once, honestly, once they get past that newborn stage, it still looks quite similar. Right. Uh, they get a little bit fussy. I always tell parents when you can no longer keep them entertained, when you're having to bounce and jiggle and rock them and you can't stop moving. And as soon as you do, they're probably ready to go to sleep. So watching, yeah, for those things. And then with toddlers, um, they start to get irritable. They start to get frustrated easy. They don't have much patience for anything. And then, of course, just I always encourage parents with toddlers, what, like, what do they do? By that point, usually I'm, most parents, they've got her down. Case yeah. of what their, their own little one does because their personalities start to shine through and right. everyone's a little bit different. So yeah, watching for those cues and then going off of them to find sleep. 
how old, like what, what range of stages of parenting are people using the mama coach for? Um, I would say a lot of people reach out for breastfeeding help is always kind of off the start. That's kind of the first thing. Sleep. Usually I find most parents anticipate that it's going to be a total gong show. So there's (laughs) cases where um, people are too upset with sleep until you kind of reach that like two, three or that four month sleep regression mark where it was going good and it's all gone to complete crap now. Yeah. Yep. And there. And I think that's when it really starts to catch up is you're out of that honeymoon newborn stage. They're starting to get a little bit more personality. Like when they're newborns, they still communicate with crying and stuff, but it's easier to read them. And um your sleep bank it runs out when you're getting to that two Mm -hmm. three months and if you haven't had a babe that's good with sleep or you've had lots of feeding problems that have caused interruptions with sleep too I find by yeah about that four month mark a lot of parents reach out four to six months that's yeah Yeah. I can see that that's kind of key I felt like part of it too probably is that in those first for me it was four weeks I know for a lot of parents it's three months Mm -hmm. Um, but like that first stint where you are just like becoming a new parent, Mm -hmm. I don't even know that I would know to reach out to anyone. I don't even know what's going on in that time. It's like such a survival mode. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. Even, I think by the time, you know, you're a couple months in, you start to get your brain back and you're like, huh, I should reach out to someone for some help on this. (laughs) I can't just be in survival anymore. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Totally. And I honestly think that's why so many moms do get through those first few weeks is it's, you just go into like a robot mode. Yeah. It's like, it's like barbaric. Like it's like totally just like caveman. This is our instinct is to just somehow get through this for a few weeks. (laughs) Totally. Absolutely. And feeding, I think feeding plays into it so much too with usually your milk settles out around three months. um, If you're breastfeeding. Oh, it's that late. About three months, but your milk comes in much earlier. Right. But usually it takes about six weeks to establish breastfeeding. So if you're exclusively breastfeeding those first six weeks and sometimes longer, if there's different like tongue ties playing into it or just different feeding problems can be so, so tough. And it impacts sleep. Like I said, we can, if babe's hungry, there's sleep is going to be affected. So With sleep, we do have a newborn plan where Mm -hmm. we will come into the house and we do a feeding assessment. And I find that always helps a lot is just to make sure that feeding is going good. And then um, with our newborn plan and sleep, we try and find, okay, how can we get into a routine? And then once we have that feeding piece really into play, then sleep comes a little bit easier. That's awesome. So let's talk about lactation for a minute. And I I know I felt like, you know, as birth is the most intimidating thing Mm -hmm. imaginable. Like it is, I feel like for, at least for me, but I expect for pretty much all women, it's like the scariest day ever when you get down Mm -hmm. to the core of it. Cause it's like the biggest game day we could ever have. And yet there's very few ways to like really know what you're walking into. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we took all the birthing classes. We did all that stuff. We were as prepared as possible but you still have no idea what's going to go down. And there's so many factors Mm -mm. of it that you don't have control over. Totally. But as intimidating as birth was, I, the whole time I was pregnant with my first Mm -hmm. felt like nursing 
was the ultimate, the ultimate unknown. Mm-hmm. Because birth, you don't know until you experience it, but there are ways to prep. Like totally. You can do birthing classes. You can read books. You can work out. You can uh, eat well. You can, you know, you can do all these things that like increase your chances of a good birth. Right. With nursing, it's like there's no way to practice. There's mm-hmm. no, you have no idea what it's going to be like. You don't know the baby. You don't even know what your boobs are like when that happens. And there's, there, there's nothing. You're like, all right, well, um, first I'm going to get through this insane game day of delivering this child. And then we'll mm-hmm. see how this completely unknown thing hap- like happens. Mm-hmm. And my, <laughs> I will literally never forget my very first nursing experience. <laughs> Fortunately. And this is with Beckett? This is with Beckett, yeah. So fortunately, both my kids have been great nursers. Mm-hmm. I also think that, how can I say this publicly? <laughs> I also think that my boobs are made well for to nurse well. Perfect. Um, but they were both fairly good nursers. Mm-hmm. So I have I did not experience the struggles that I have seen so many of my peers go mm-hmm. through. <laughs> With that being said, the very first nursing experience I had. Okay, so Beckett's birth went terribly. We went in fully prepared. I ate super good the whole pregnancy. I worked out super hard the whole pregnancy. We did, you know, a 12-week birthing course on all the things. We wanted a fully natural delivery. We had a doula in with us. Like, we were ready. Totally. Also, like, again, I'm, I was an athlete my whole life. My pain tolerance is really high. I'm very, like, game face typically I was like I have this totally I did not have this <laughs> everything went <laughs> catastrophic we ended up after an entire I, I labored through the whole thing naturally which was horrible I was in transition with him for probably I think seven or eight hours oh. so I had transition contractions for seven or eight hours without any pain meds Pushed for three hours and 45 minutes. Oh my gosh. He didn't come. <laughs> so at that point, they're like, you're going to need to have a C-section. And I was about to pass out for lack of oxygen. And I was like, probably a good idea that we go in now rather than when I'm out. Yeah. Um, so at that point, they administered two epidurals and we went into a C-section. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... I had two epidurals because they didn't take right. Right. So did they put a tube in your back or was it a No, it was a shot. It was a needle. Okay. So spinal. Yes. Two but, spinals. Yeah. Oh. Um, but they didn't take right. So the first one, like, didn't take at all. I could still feel everything. So they gave me a second and, like, kind of hoped for the best, set me into the operating room. And <laughs> I'm not totally sure what happened, but... Basically, when the when the surgeon was when the OBGYN was pinching me to like find where to slice, I could feel it, and I was mm-hmm. like, I was like, so I feel like this is important for you to know. And mm-hmm. I'm like laying there, right, like strapped down. They strap your arms. I don't know if they do yeah. something in Canada. This is what they do. Yeah. In okay, so like strapped down, like on a crucifix. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, just wanna let you know, I can I can feel that. And again, this is not my doctor. This is just like who was there that day. My yeah. doctor was gone. And I was like, and she's like, oh, well, like, okay. 
And I was like, yeah. She's like, how, how much can you feel it? And I was like, well, I mean, you're about to take a knife to me. So like enough, right? Like, <laughs> I can feel it. Like we're gonna just It should off. be zero. So, <laughs> and she was, she was, she was like, okay, well, tell me how much you can feel this. And I was like, well, it feels like you're pinching me pretty hard. And she's like, okay, well, I'm pinching you really hard. So I feel like we're okay. Mm-hmm. So were you feeling, did you feel the pain of it? I so pain, not just pressure. Okay. I could feel the and pain. And so for, just for reference, so that people yeah. are like, oh my God, C-sections, like never. Yeah, um, cool. So what, yeah, <laughs> you're great. <laughs> Don't listen to MJ. <laughs> so basically for C-sections, what happens is if you have an epidural, so that is that tube that goes into your back and it's a constant medication that they're give, administering through that. Right. Which for us, it yeah. is. And then a spinal. Spinal is where so the epidural goes into the epidural space and it's a tube and it stays in no needle like they do a needle initially okay and then but they take it out and leave a tube in into the space then a spinal is they use a needle so it's a very similar thing they use a needle but they use the needle inject the pain medications that they're using and it's a mixture in and then that is what freezes you and it has a longer lasting effect so that's why they don't have a tube if it doesn't take though that is when they do the test so they always do a test when they pinch um pinch your skin and it's like little tweezers where they do the incision so right above where you can feel your pubic bone they pinch to make sure that you cannot feel pain so the odd weird just again something that you cannot prepare for c-sections is you they the point of them is you don't feel the pain of it so you shouldn't feel it pinching but you feel the touch right so it's like when your arm falls asleep at night and you're like you bring it out and it's like this death appendage that you have and you can pinch it and you're like I can't feel it but you can touch and you're like I can feel that I'm touching it but like ah. right so C-sections are so, yeah, and it's it's the most weird feeling. But if you feel that pinching, it is important to let them know, hey, yes, I can feel you touch, but, like, you're pinching me. Like, I feel pain. Right. So <clears throat> yeah. that's what Making occurred, that yep. <laughs> which is not normal. You're supposed to feel the mm. pressure, which I also felt pressure, right? Like, that's okay. also there. But I could I feel, feel you pinching, but I feel the pain. The of physical pain of it. Yeah. So... She basically determined that she was pinching me hard enough and I wasn't, like, screaming. So she said it was, like, cool. So she went – she proceeded. Um, So, like, I for sure felt pain of the incision. It was just a duller pain. But it was still there. So anyways, so what I think ultimately took place after talking to some of my nursing friends now, like, years later, it seems as though over the course of that – the 45 minutes that you're in there, you know, it's like two minutes for like the delivery and then like mm-hmm. <laughs> all the stitching up and stuff takes forever. Yeah. It seems like maybe the pain medicine, the epidural, whatever it was, took on half my body, a different half. I don't know. All I know is that I couldn't move my left arm. And I'm trying to remember, I feel like I could use my right one, but I could not use the left. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing was, I couldn't move it. I couldn't feel it. It was like, temporarily paralyzed is basically mm-hmm. what it was happening mm-hmm. um, and I remember talking to the anesthesiologist I'm very outgoing my husband was making fun of me the whole time I was in the c-section room because I had just gone through like a treacherous la- uh, labor totally and the I go in there and I'm like hours. hey nurses what are your name Rachel Rachel how long you've been a nurse for do you enjoy it cool all right Reagan 
How, you're my anesthesiologist? Great. What's up, buddy? Like, it was, like, the whole time. And so I'm there, and I'm like, hey, Reagan. So, um, can't feel my left arm. <laughs> this arm here. Is that, <laughs> like, that normal? Or where are we at on this? Mm-hmm. And always their reactions were like, mm, ding, 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 not normal. He, like, looks at me, and he was like, huh, like, uh, how much can you not feel it? <laughs> All the way. Can't move it. <laughs> There's like a can or a can't here. And like, I can't. <laughs> That's so where anyways, we are. He, and his, his response was, okay, well, that should come back in a few hours. And I was like, so if it doesn't, am I calling you or? <laughs> who, who, should, who should I get back to come and look at this if it doesn't? So anyways, um, that's how I left the operating room. I get to the recovery. So the, like they had to put me, I don't know why we were in a hospital that we were in Houston at the time. We were in a hospital there. They had to put me in like a recovery room and before we went to like our overnight room. Right. So it's just like curtains, right? Like where yeah. all the people are recovering from whatever they just went through. So like, I, that's the first time I got to hold my son mm-hmm. and he's hungry. So I'm like, I'm going to nurse him. <laughs> Mind you, I've never nursed. Totally. Your left arm is the left side of my body is inoperable. Like it doesn't move. <laughs> and he's an infant. Like he literally was born like an hour ago. So yeah. he's the most wobbly, out of control thing ever. And yeah. I remember <laughs> sitting there like, oh great, this is this is going to go super well. And I like grabbed his head kind of in a football hole with my right arm. And then I was like kind of like forcing my arm over by like moving my whole body but it wasn't helping so then I was like one-handed got his like wobbly head and trying to put it on my breast and being like this 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 is this is not I don't feel like this is the best circumstance to start this journey out <laughs> good start Beckett like we got this you yeah me here. uh it was real sloppy I remember having asked my husband I was like can you just like throw in a hand for support on this side because he's got nothing right now Grab like my breast here <laughs> yeah yeah, could you lift that a little bit? Thanks. <laughs> uh, so that was my introduction into nursing. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, it got better. Good. Um, but I do know that a lot of people, obviously, they go in and you you have no idea. You have no idea if an arm's going to be paralyzed. You have no idea if the baby's going to latch. You have you have you literally have no idea. Mm-mm. And I know how intimidating it is for so many of my friends to get to that point where it's time it's go time for them to nurse and it not work mm-hmm. and I think one of the rudest awakenings of that is it's like your first it's really your first point of responsibility entering motherhood mm-hmm. and you're like I failed like it what mm-hmm. it didn't happen and that's like that was my that's my number one thing I'm supposed to be able to do like mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be this kid mm-hmm and although I did not experience that myself, I feel like I can totally understand where that just feels like, I mean, it feels like a, a, like a, a punch to like on a soul level. Like I, this is my, my first responsibility as a mother mm-hmm. didn't do it mm-hmm. or it's not easy. Like it's not going as, as easily as I thought it would, or I'm, I don't seem to be good at this or like, we just can't figure it out. Mm-hmm. So what's your conversation with moms when, when they reach out to you and they're at that point of being like, I don't know if this is going to work. What do you, what's your conversation with them look like? So I think the biggest thing I always come back to with moms is breastfeeding is the most unnatural, natural thing 
<laughs> ever. Your body has, you have, okay, you have boobs. Sweet. You have nipples. Perfect. Two for two. Your body's going to make the milk. That's doing with hormones. We just got to get the stimulation in there. So off the start, if we need to, we got to do some pumping or some hand expression. That's okay. Huh. Totally okay. Um, and then you have babe. They have their oral anatomy. They got their tongue. They got their cheeks. All this jazz. Um, and of course, there's always, we'll talk about kind of like the standard um, before hopping into like things that make it a little bit more difficult. So remembering that although you have all these parts that play into it, there's the whole notion of like putting the baby to the breast and them latching, latching properly <laughs> so they're not destroying your nipples as they nurse. Yeah. That's a whole new ballpark. And if it hurts, and I do, I find there is so much guilt. There's so much shame, like where moms come to you and they're just like, this is, this is the one thing my body's supposed to be doing. And like, why is this not working? Like, I'm supposed to be able to do this. I am, I am, I'm their mom. Like I am their mm -hmm. mother. And this is something that I'm supposed to do for them. And my body is failing me and I'm failing them. And so I always just try and bring it back to, there's so many factors that play into it. Yes, we can do, and there is things that you can do in advance to prepare for it. And I do do a prenatal breastfeeding and antenatal hand expression class. Awesome. But when you get to that point, I think the most recent one I can remember is I had a mom reach out to me at six weeks. And she, I think, had seen five, she'd seen five different people in the healthcare system. Every single one had a different thing to say. Every single one was, well, maybe it could be this, or maybe it's this. And then at the end, it was just like, you just have a baby that's not going to breastfeed. Like, there's nothing physically wrong with either of you. This is it. So she called me, and she was like, if you can't, I'm done. Like, you are my last, my last one. And, like, if this isn't going to work, like, I have to be done mentally. I, like, right. I cannot. So I, yeah, we hopped on the phone. We had our chat, and I was like okay, I can't promise, like, think, like, I heard everything that everybody else had kind of suggested. The biggest thing, I think, is it's going, it's going to the house, and it's not, when they go to a clinic, they sit in a different chair, they use a different breastfeeding pillow, it's all different. So, the awesome thing about the Mama Coach, and what I feel we can offer is time, and we come to you. It's let's go to where, where are you comfortable? Where in your house do you feel most needs? Where are you going to feed? Where do you want to feed your baby? So we go, yeah, we went to her breastfeeding chair in babe's room. And um, I always go back to the basics, no matter what. Sometimes we get so wrapped up when things aren't working that we forget that maybe when we were trying for that first week and they, babe was a little bit preterm or they were born a little bit before their due date, sometimes it is just a matter of their sucking reflex or their suck, breathe, and swallow pattern is a little bit off. And they just needed that week to come back to it. But then we get to that week or second week, and we're like, okay, we've tried the latch, we've tried this, we've tried this. So I always tell moms, if you've seen a million people, You've heard a million different suggestions. Do this. Try this. Maybe it's this. No, it's not that. And maybe it's this. And it's frustrating and you're at your wits end. Try a find someone that can support you, whether it's a family member, whether it's 
um, your husband or your wife or your support person, whoever that person is, someone that can support you because you, the support is the biggest thing in breastfeeding that I think without support, it is, it's very, very hard because it is such a emotional, mental, physically exhausting thing that you do. Right. And so coming back to that support and then come back to the basics. So at the end of the day, breastfeeding for it to work, we need a good latch. We need babe to latch. If they're not going to latch, we got nothing. So when you're putting babe to the breast, you want to make sure they're hungry enough because a not hungry baby is not going to do anything at the breast. Right. So I always say lots of skin to skin and it does not matter if you are one hour after birth or if you are four weeks postpartum, put babe skin to skin, do as much skin to skin as you can, wrap them on with a wrap, just lots of skin to skin contact and be watching for hunger cues. So those are going to look like babe starts munching on their fists or putting their fingers in their mouth. They're doing the rooting reflex or when anything touches kind of their cheeks or not at all, but they're turning their head to their, the side and they're opening their mouth like a baby bird. All of those things, their little tongues going like a little lizard, watching for those. And when they start to show those signs, then go in and start to try and breastfeed or make an attempt to latch. So when you're latching them, we always want their front to your front. So basically belly to belly, and that doesn't matter really what position you're in mm -hmm. we never want babies facing one way with their body and turning their head to their side to look over a shoulder to feed it's right. just anatomically not conducive to a good latch so make sure that their ears are in line with their shoulders are in line with their hips so you know that they are straight and then bringing them to the breast in that position um, you want to line up their nose to your nipple. So it looks kind of weird. And you're like, how am I supposed to get their mouth on? You don't actually want baby to come straight onto the nipple. So you don't want your nipple lined up with their mouth because when you put them onto the breast, you want them to be, I call it a sniffing position, but you want their head to be slightly tilted up. So if you like, if you just think of it doing a sniffing position, if you kind of lift your head a little bit, you extend it. That's how we want them to go to the breast. So when we line up your nipple with their nose, when they make that big open mouth and we want to wait until they make that big open mouth um, and it looks almost like a yawn, then we bring them boldly to the breast. I always say aim for the bottom lip first and then the top lip. And then once they're on the breast, it should look a little something like their chin is more pressed into your breast so that their nose is in that kind of peaked up position where they're a little bit sniffing and so they, they have can a, breathe. a little bit of room to breathe. They don't need a whole lot. So, and they'll pull off as they can. The amount of times that I almost suffocated my son when I was first nursing, I was like, oh my God, you can't breathe. I'm sorry. Okay. All right. All right. I'm his dad. So you can, and it's not necessarily always something that you need to like, oh shoot, like their nose is squished into my breast. Just all you have to do when you have your hand on um, their head is just bring it back a little bit. So you're just straightening out your wrist a little bit. Um, and that usually is enough to push their chin in a little bit more and bring their nose away. So once you have those things, usually that's all the recipe that we need for a good latch. Always go through those. Always come back to the basics of those 
I'm going to the latch to the baby when you're trying to do it because sometimes we get so caught up in it that we make it so medicalized and so over the top and we're looking for these massive problems and sometimes we've just babes done a little bit of growing or whatever the case has changed in the last week and all we need to do is come back to the basics and try again yeah. um Whenever you are running, for anybody listening to this, if you're running into feeding problems, if it's hurting, pain is always, always, always a trigger that says that something is not right. If you're feeling pain, the likelihood that baby is feeding effectively is not very high. They might be getting some milk, absolutely. They can they can suck it out, but effectively likely not so that's when you'll run into them not sleeping as well or not gaining weight as well um or blistered bleeding cracked nipples that make you resent feeding and that's okay to feel that because it is painful and you almost if you find that you're wanting your babies to sleep and you are almost scared for when they wake up because you know that you're gonna have to put them to the breast again reach out to someone reach out to a lactation consultant although we don't have as many mama coaches in the states on the website um we do have you can just search in our nurses and then you can click where you are and um, we have all the cities listed in the areas and different territories that we go to that can look and make sure that there aren't anything that stands out that is impeding it like a tongue tie or a lip tie or a problem with your supply and then just always come back to the basics and don't lose those that's really interesting yeah I know for my first with Beckett he's always the first is always the learning curve I feel like Mm -hmm. everything went so smooth with Kate (laughs) none of my bad stories are with her but I did I I remember for the first gosh probably I'm gonna say at least four weeks maybe longer breastfeeding was excruciating it was excruciating mm-hmm. and I remember people just saying like oh yeah like that's just how it is at first mm-hmm. um like so bad that like my tur- my toes would like curl when I was mm-hmm. feeding and it was like and I would get you know my nipples would bleed and it was it was horrible mm-hmm. but he ate very well he got mm-hmm. tons of milk yeah and if I they have a strong the ex- suck they will right. get, like they're he hungry he was a really they're good like, eater right yeah but that didn't mean that things were going well and I remember learning we had a lactation consultant come with a, come to us in the hospital, fortunately, where we delivered with Cadence here at Vanderbilt in Nashville. That You, ever, you always get a lactation consultant to come mm-hmm. in and check. Yeah. And I learned a lot of things that you just talked about with her that I never knew with Becca. Mm-hmm. And she, I remember, like, the transition to nursing with her was maybe, like, slight pain in the beginning, but, like, totally manageable, totally mm-hmm. doable. And I was like, oh, like, <laughs> this... This is much better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. How, I, I don't know how I got through those first few weeks of Beckett. And I don't know how a lot of people like get this. through mm-hmm. those times where it's just it's it's so painful and you know you're gonna have to do it again in like a couple hours. Totally. Yeah, it's crazy. So I I have a viewpoint personally where I am I am all about moms doing what they need to do to be best for them and best for the baby and best for their family. Mm-hmm. And a part of that is like your sanity, obviously. Absolutely, so anytime that a mom has to go to formula or chooses to go to formula, I'm, that's great. That's mm-hmm. awesome. I was formula fed. I turned out perfectly fine. Formula is a great option. Mm-hmm. With that being said, my heart always hurts for the people who like are like, who really, really want to breastfeed and aren't able to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I feel like at least in, 
the culture here in America, there is kind of this notion that like some babies and or nipples do not breastfeed well. Like, mm-hmm. and not only, not even like well, like sometimes it, it like it literally cannot work. Like it's mm-hmm. it's kind of a almost nearly impossible battle. I personally struggle with that idea only because, and again, I'm coming from a place that's like very privileged in the fact that my kids nursed fine. Mm-hmm. But I see these moms who have a, who so badly want to nurse, but are told basically to give up on it. And I just feel like when we're talking about like civilization for the last thousands of years, the genetic, the genetic part of us that would have not nursed well wouldn't have survived pre-formula. So I just feel like in this day and age, like probably everyone is capable of nursing. Mm-hmm. Um, just like strictly scientifically speaking, or else their gene pool would not have made it this far. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say it's always easy, but do you do you feel like if someone is willing to just keep persevering in it, that like a solution can always be found? Or are, are there circumstances that like, it's just not going to work? Mm-hmm. Um, with my experience, and again, I, I'm privileged. I've been breastfed before, so, <laughs> but in working with moms, I work on a labor and delivery and postpartum floor. So every day I am at work, I'm helping women breastfeed and now the mama coach. It's even more often. So I, while I can't say I've seen it all because I never have, but in every case that I've seen and with my knowledge background and the education that I've taken I've just written my lactation consultant exam and so with all of that statistically speaking there are very few cases where a woman cannot physically breastfeed and this is completely statistics taking out all other like mental very emotional well. everything else playing right. into it right so sure. anatomically body wise most women, they have the right, they have the breast tissue developed. They have anatomically, everything is there. Babies, same for them. Sometimes there's a tongue tie that needs to be clipped or there is a lip tie that needs to be clipped or there's a cleft palate or cleft lip. Right. These are all variables that play into it, but are not the deciding factor on whether you will or will not breastfeed. The only time women cannot breastfeed exclusively from the breast without anything intervening is when they for some reason in puberty there was just they don't have the tissue the ducts everything Mm. there that creates breast milk and produces breast milk so sometimes it's no matter what we do we cannot get what tissue what is there to produce the adequate amount of breast milk and that's when you can still nurse but we need to give a supplement at the breast um, or you decide to bottle feed and that's kind of the choice of the woman so with all of these variables and factors that play into breastfeeding working or not because there is very 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 few women who lay back and their baby crawls to the breast and (laughs) and it's all great and it's fine and dandy and babies like babies do if given the time studies show within 60 minutes if you're doing skin to skin without like 
medication and labor, that all plays into it too. The stress of the labor, the trauma of labor, that plays into breastfeeding too. But if everything went kind of on a semblance of a good path, then the baby will actually has the physical ability to wiggle themselves to the breast. Your areola gets larger in pregnancy. Babies do have blurrier vision, but it's a bigger spot that they can see. Right. Um, the little bumps that a lot of women get on their areolas are called um, Montgomery's follicles, and those secrete a smell. Oh, cool. And babies to get there. When we don't wash bath babies too soon, the amniotic smell smells very similar to the breast milk and they crawl with their hands. So all of these things play into it, absolutely. But very few babies wear layback and for the next six months, you have to do nothing. It's just this natural, lovely, beautiful thing where you just put your baby <laughs> to the breast and they feed and your nipples don't hurt and everything's fine and dandy and right. they sleep and then you do it again in three hours. So with the right support, and it's very unfortunate and it makes me super sad that a lot of women don't have the right support and they don't have the people in their corner that they need to successfully breastfeed where when it's tough and it's not working and you're exhausted and you have so much shame and you feel so guilty and your mental state is being negatively impacted by it. And there's sometimes support is so huge in it. Like I cannot, I can't even begin to stress it enough. And I see it time and time again in the hospital Um, without the support anatomically, everything might be there for breastfeeding, but some women, it just doesn't work. Right. And that's that's perfect. I I like how you um, brought in the mental and emotional aspect, because that's where I think, um, you know, I do think most women, if they're, if they're willing and able to persevere through it, they could figure it out. But Mm -hmm. sometimes the mental and emotional exhaustion of it isn't worth it. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where they have to kind of gauge their own their own mental space and just figure out, is it going to be better if I just let this go and go to formula? Mm-hmm. Cause my baby will be fine. Absolutely. Or is, is this something I want to fight for because it's something I really want. And mm-hmm. um, for those moms who are, but for those moms who deliver a baby and things aren't going smoothly with nursing, but they really want to buy some time so they can figure it out. Mm-hmm. What are some ways that they can keep baby <clears throat> interested keep their body producing so mm-hmm. that they can buy that time to six weeks later call you mm-hmm. like that mom did and say, Hey, I still really want to do this, but we just can't figure it out. How do you keep mm-hmm. your body continuing for six weeks without a success and actual latch? Mm-hmm. So the breast produces milk on a supply and demand. So baby demands breast supply with supply and demand. The more milk that is taken from your breast, so the more time they spend empty, your body is like, okay, baby's drinking everything, we need to keep making it. So whether that's coming from a pump or hand expression or your baby is breastfeeding, all of those things work. I always say in the first 24 hours, the first hour after you deliver, ideal case, in a perfect world, you get your skin to skin in, baby around that hour marks goes to the breast to breastfeed. 
but that's not always the case. So maybe you cannot do skin to skin. Maybe your baby has to go to the NICU and you knew that was coming or maybe you didn't and it's a surprise. Um, they have to go to NICU or a latch just isn't happening. So if they have to go to NICU, you didn't get your skin to skin in, that's okay. It's not the be all end all. There's gonna be tons of time for bonding that is needed for breastfeeding. So don't get discouraged with that. But we want to tell our bodies, hey, baby's born, the placenta comes out, which causes a hormone shift in your body, which allows your body to start producing milk once the placenta comes out. So we all we have to do is tell our body that, hey, babe's out and we got to start making milk now because they're hungry and they need it. On the first, um, until your milk comes in at about th day three to four, we just want to get that colostrum out and save it because every drop counts. And I mean it, like even if they're in the NICU and they're intubated and they're not breathing on their own, they can use a Q-tip to take your one drop of colostrum that you're able to express and put it on their gums. It's And it's phenomenal. And there's so many studies into um, breast milk and the benefits of it. So then what you're going to do is get, and this is even if they're not in the NICU, for lots of moms that are pumping and they maybe just decided that they wanted to pump or for other reasons they're pumping, take a picture or a video of babe. When you're changing out their blankets in the NICU, take that blanket back with you, put a new one in. These are things that are going to help your body to have a letdown. So when you can visually see your baby, because we have to remember too, the pumping can be a very like mechanical, mechanical, like you feel disconnected from your baby. There's lots playing into it. When you can snuggle up with the blanket that smells like them and look at a video of them in their isolate, or you have a picture of them that you can look at, that really, really can help your body to secrete oxytocin, which in turn squeezes and produces the milk and puts it through the ducts and into the pump. So to help that, I always tell women, regardless of the case, if you're not pumping with baby um, or doing hand expression, look at a picture, snuggle their blanket. And we want to do this the same as baby would be. So about every two to three hours, whether you get a pump, ask for a pump in the hospital, all hospitals have them, or you do hand expression because in the first one to three days, you are only going to have colostrum, which it is drops and that's okay. Some women have more, some women have less, but I mean it when I say that one drop is amazing and be proud of it. And if you don't even get a drop, that's okay because it is about the stimulation of telling your body, babe needs food, let's get going and your body will come around with it so about every two to three hours and then once your milk comes in if baby's still not breastfeeding or is still in the NICU um, then it's about every three to four hours that you want to be pumping we want to be getting the milk out because when the milk isn't present there's a, a substance in breast milk that the more concentrated it is so the more breast milk you have in your breasts it tells your body slow your woe, like we're making too much, we don't need to produce anymore, take note for next time. Babe's not drinking all of this, then it decreases how much it makes. But similar to when babies are cluster feeding, they cluster feed because they keep your breasts emptied over a longer period of time and your body's like, oh hey, we need to make more milk. So regardless of the factor, if babe's not feeding properly, if they're kind of attempting breastfeeding with a nipple shield, 
because sometimes nipple shields can impede how much they're getting, um, but sometimes they are needed. Or they're in NICU, every three to four hours, you're setting your alarm in the night because you want to do exactly as baby would be doing. And that goes all the way until you get breastfeeding established. And That's your supply amazing. will be there. Mm -hmm. I feel like breastfeeding to me is like one of the most interesting and completely fascinating things about mm -hmm. our bodies. I feel like it I could is. just listen to you talk about it for hours. Like it's that crazy. is amazing. It's amazing. It blows my mind. Like and I love the, the idea of getting does. a blanket and a, and a video, especially now that all of us have cell phones and we can easily, right. like, of course we're taking videos of our kid and stuff. And then like yeah. when they're born or our husbands do, we're able to take it into mm -hmm. our room if they're in the NICU with a blanket yeah. and, and use those things that, we don't necessarily always think about, but are happening subconsciously mm -hmm. in our bodies. Yeah. That's so cool. Hard. You've just had a baby and you're, you have all these emotions and for nine months you've waited, or maybe it was a little bit less or a little bit more. You waited to meet this human and something didn't go as planned. And there can be, there's so much emotion around that. And if you can do even the littlest things, they make the biggest difference. So yeah, a picture, a video, their blanket that you swapped out from their isolate use those things and they do That's really awesome. help mm -hmm. i love it well, like mm -hmm. i said i feel like i could talk to you for like another three hours totally but oh i could go on and on about breastfeeding maybe we maybe we can schedule another podcast yeah, right sometime in the future but let's wrap up by just let everyone know what services the mama coach offers and um, obviously they do have a few locations currently in the u.s they have one in mm -hmm. texas georgia and wyoming i believe is what i saw um, and then a bunch up in Canada. Is that correct? Yes. Like tons up in Canada. Every province in Canada, all the large, yeah, a lot. Just what you can do if you're kind of like, hmm, I'm like interested. Um, go to www.themamacoach.ca. Um, and under there, it's you can go under meet our nurses. And then all of us, according to province and states, are listed there. Awesome. And what are yeah. all the different things that you guys help? new moms with mm -hmm. so some mama coaches have done a little bit further um certifications and stuff on their okay. own so but the basic thing that every mama coach does is we all do prenatal education so prenatal classes and that is offering group classes in a group setting or private classes in your home. Um, the private ones are a little bit nicer just because um, we can tailor it exactly to, okay, what's your birth plan? Uh, if you had a traumatic first delivery and you have lots of anxiety about this one, um, how can, like, what can we do in the labor room in order to make it the most positive experience so that you can have a better experience with this one? What we talk about interventions, we talk about how your labor support person can support you throughout labor positioning and then our prenatal classes also cover breastfeeding we always talk about breastfeeding mm -hmm. unless somebody's decided against it beforehand which is totally okay too in which case we will cover formula feeding and cool. um, everything surrounding that and then we talk about newborn sleep and what to kind of expect with all of that and then we do antenatal hand expressions. So that is the collecting of the colostrum um, before you have baby. It has to be approved through your doctor just to make sure that you don't have any reasoning of what any risk factors of putting into preterm labor. It's not something we do until about 36, 37 weeks. Okay. But the benefits of that is A, you get comfortable with your breasts. B, you kind of learn of like, okay, this is how they work. This is how you do expression because we still do... Um, if you have a babe that doesn't want to latch in the hospital and you're having a little bit of troubles, you can express milk and feed it to them. If you are diabetic 
or you have a baby that is measuring large for their gestational age, they are highly likely or they have a higher risk or chance of needing um, a supplement or extra because their blood sugar levels just need it to stay stabilized. And so instead of introducing formula, we give your own frozen colostrum. We defrost oh, it. Cool. So you take it to the hospital with you. So that um, both of those two things can be done in person or virtually. So okay. we hop on a teleconference and do it. Then after baby comes, we do hourly newborn visits. If you just need a little bit of reassurance, you have a bunch of questions that you just want answered, we can come in and do an hourly rate for that. Or we do our um, newborn package, which is a visit, and I think four phone call follow-ups after that and a couple weeks of support. So anytime you have a question or email, um, question or concern or anything, you just email um, or we hop on the phone to talk about it. And then we do sleep, which is always a lovely one. So sleep training, we usually start after, usually after three months. But if you are having a heck of a time with your newborn, we can always come in and help you with sleep beforehand. It's just not going to be sleep training. It's just going to be guides of how we can stretch the sleep a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sleep, we do all up to the way to school age kids. That's amazing. You can yeah. come help me with mine. Right. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding hey and then some mama coaches do um cpr workshops and choking so yes that's awesome mm -hmm. so when you're introducing solids and you're like oh this makes me really nervous um just to have the tools in your bank of okay if they were to start choking what do i do um and that can kind of make it a little bit less um anxiety inducing when you are starting to introduce solids because choking is a real thing and it is a hazard with little kids and then some mama coaches do um like car seat certification and checks and stuff but that is an additional thing so yes all of that and so it's such a well-rounded company yeah honestly like you really cover all of the things that, that do give moms anxiety and just make our lives insane in those first little, you know, stretch of time. And it's just so cool. I, I'm really, really happy. I, I found you and was able to, you know, learn about a, a company like this, that mm-hmm. really their whole goal is to serve the moms mm-hmm. and make motherhood just even if oh, a little bit easier. Yeah. Like I wish I would have known about it you know, four years ago when, right. when I was a new mom and I was like, Oh, or even honestly, or even two years ago, like you said, it's not just for new moms. When I was going mm-hmm. into a birth with my second and totally dealing with all the trauma from my first and mm-hmm. not, not loving the idea of doing it again. So no, absolutely. It is, <laughs> it is awesome. traumatic. Like it is, yes, it's a big, beautiful, wonderful day, but it is, it is tough and there I feel like we don't do enough of talking about it and debriefing about okay what happened and yeah that's awesome so it can really help to just have those fears specifically um you can find me good old instagram at roslyn so r-o-s-a-l-y-n dot the mama coach um or on facebook and it's the mama coach rosalind samick and then on the mama coach website of course as well too and you can if you happen to be not in saskatoon <laughs> um oh, what? you can my listeners aren't in saskatoon no. come on saskatoon <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna we're gonna do it we're gonna change that 
Um, but you can go onto the website and I do offer, I haven't done it yet, but I am doing a breastfeeding and antenatal, a prenatal workshop that's going to cover breastfeeding and antenatal hand expression. And I am hoping to make that into an online offering as well. But otherwise I do sleep consults online, um, virtually. So you can head to the mama coach website, um, and you can request a nurse. So you just find us on there and then you just click the little button that says so um, you can read up about every mama coach so if you kind of jive with one more and you know that there's none in your city then that's totally okay just pick whoever you yeah so desire that's awesome so even mm -hmm. if they're not in your city yet you can even still get linked not. up with the mama coach absolutely we are here awesome. in any way we can that's amazing well thank you so much for giving that's me your time so today cool. it was Absolutely. incredible to just soak up all the knowledge that you have. I absolutely love it. And it slightly, it almost made me want to have another baby, but not yet. Not yet. Get <laughs> so moved. You started, Get yeah, yeah, let's move into a house first. Right. You started talking about the little faces they make when they try to latch. And I was like, Ooh, it's like my favorite, but, oh, so uh, but that's so not happening right now. <laughs> next podcast yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> next awesome. well thank you so much again seriously and um feel free to reach out anytime for sure and and uh i look forward to to getting this out to everyone mm -hmm. wonderful thank you mj